Hello, it is Thursday the 9th of July. You're listening to The Briefing. Jan Fran is here and she recently got out of the city for the first time since the pandemic took hold. Don't I look very relaxed this morning? <laughs> you do. Yeah. I Look, I don't want to rub it in too much because I know that Victoria is in lockdown, mm. but I did manage to get out of the city of Sydney for the first time since the pandemic and uh, it felt great. Why? Just getting away from the population density? Yeah, getting away from the population density and just feeling uh, a little bit more free and being being close to the ocean, I think, helps quite a lot. Yeah, well, our heart goes out to actually the people who are in the opposite situation right now. Later in the show, we're going to brief you on the towers that went into forced lockdown in Melbourne. Since they went into that forced lockdown on Saturday night, the whole city around them now has gone into lockdown. So even the panic buying has begun in Melbourne. We're going to find out what happens to these 3,000 people who can't even go to the supermarket. It's quiet, Lady. You won't hear nothing. Nobody can leave. There's cops going up and down the stairs. So there's nothing. You can't do nothing. You can't even wash your clothes. The laundries are not working. That story in just a moment. First, let's get to the big stories of the day. Look, in news that nobody really wants to hear or announce, as it turns out, there are fears that the Victorian outbreak is already spreading interstate. The risk of contagion in New South Wales is extremely high because of our geographic proximity, because of the number of border communities and the number of permits we're allowing. And if we need to reassess that, we will. That was the New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian. One of the concerns is that on Tuesday, 48 people who'd flown into Sydney from Melbourne on a Jetstar flight disembarked without any screening. So there was an issue at the airport where passengers were disembarked when the health screening team were screening another airline. All of those individuals are known. Obviously, you get tickets when you're on a plane. We are in the process of chasing them up. Yeah, and the update on that one is that they've been in touch with 45 of those 48 passengers and arranged for them to be screened. Three of them refused and have been referred to police. It boggles my mind that people would refuse to be, well, one tested, but definitely screened. Yeah, exactly. Just having your temperature checked and asked a few questions. Yeah. The ACT recorded its first cases in over a month, which is a little bit concerning. Uh, Three people from a household with links to the Victorian outbreak, they're testing positive. And also a Victorian teenager holidaying on the New South Wales South Coast is in isolation currently after finding out that he has the virus. Now, this is despite him being told that he didn't Mm. have the virus. It's only later transpired that he was in fact positive. There have been 134 cases in Victoria in the last 24 hours. Of course, the lockdown has started Mm. and the first charge has been laid against a Victorian man who was yesterday trying to cross the border into New South Wales there uh, near the town of Albury, but trying to cross without a permit. So he has been arrested and charged and it's a tense atmosphere. Yeah, people were out in Melbourne last night, I guess, getting their last little taste of freedom, not necessarily in the spirit of the... (laughs) The lockdown, yeah. um, but it is going to be a tough time, so it's understandable. I went to a film premiere in Sydney last night, and there did seem to be a real vigilance around social distancing. It feels like people are really worried about what's happening in Melbourne, and any complacency that was there is starting to go away, and people are being super careful. We went out for dinner afterwards, and it was such a pleasure just thinking of you know the people that are going into lockdown that we could still mm. go out for dinner relatively normally. Yeah, I think that's kind of partly why people are being a little bit vigilant because they just think, we don't want to go into another lockdown, you know. So, yeah, I really do feel for Victorians. 
The PM has confirmed that JobKeeper will be extended past September for some people. Where there is the need, then there will continue to be support. This is about tailoring a national program to provide support where the support is needed. And because of what has happened in Victoria, obviously the need there will be far greater than was previously and that need will be met. Yeah, so we're going to find out what that means in a couple of weeks when the government actually make the specific announcement. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit light on the details there for yeah. that one. But there is some news also for mortgage owners. The head of the Australian Banking Association, Anna Bly, says that you can now defer mortgage repayments until January 2021. A further deferral of up to four months uh, will be offered by banks on a case-by-case basis. This new phase of support avoids an economic cliff for customers. Yeah, this is um, the deferral scheme that started back in March. It was supposed to end in September there. And 800,000 people have already chosen to defer their mortgage repayments, to defer loans essentially worth $260 billion. Yeah, so that's a significant number of mortgage holders. I guess with those two details there, we are seeing that this September cliff is getting a little bit lower. We're already getting the government acknowledging that there will be some kind of extension to JobKeeper for some people. And also the other part of that cliff was the end of those mortgage freezes. Mm. So that's been pushed out as well. So this fear of a September cliff, um, I guess, is starting to abate a little bit. Yeah, let's just hope we we don't actually ever get to a cliff. Let's just hope it's a small hill. Smooth ride. Downhill. And speaking of downhill, a three-time Olympic snowboard champion, Alex Chumpy Pullen, has drowned. He was spearfishing on the Gold Coast yesterday. Another diver was out there and, and located him uh, on the seafloor, uh, to our understanding, where he raised the tension of nearby surfers who um, sought lifeguards to uh, bring him in. Oh, that's such an incredibly sad story. That was District Duty Officer Chris Tritton there explaining what happened. Now, they brought him in and tried to resuscitate him for around 45 minutes. Yeah, it's suspected that Pullen suffered a shallow water blackout. It's absolutely tragic. The guy was 32. He was the flag bearer at the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, back-to-back border cross world titles in 2011 and 13. And the alpine sports community in Australia is pretty small, Everyone knows each other and um, people love this guy. You've seen a massive outpouring um, in the Australian ski and snowboard community. And he crossed over because he was A, a champion and B, a really good bloke. So you've seen lots of people posting tributes from other sports and other parts Mm. of the community. All right. Thank you, Jan. Jamila Rizvi is about to jump in as we look at what's happening for the 3,000 people locked in their public housing towers in Melbourne. Jamila Rizvi joins us now to talk about the crisis in Melbourne's public housing towers. Jamila, at the start of the week, all eyes were on those 3,000 people suddenly forced into a severe five-day lockdown. It was meant to end tomorrow, but since then, the whole city around the towers, and yourself included, has gone into a six-week lockdown. Yeah, everyone here in Melbourne is hurting. Tom, there's a real sort of heaviness in the air at the moment. But as most of the city returns to life at home, I think it's important that we don't forget about the people in the North Melbourne and Flemington public housing towers. While the rest of us are totally frustrated by our new situation, life is significantly more free than it is for those in total lockdown. I can still get groceries, go for a run around the parklands or walk down the street for a takeaway coffee. They can't. 
Yeah, well, these towers were labelled vertical cruise ships, but there's some stark differences. There's definitely no buffet. I guess that reference really was speaking to the risk of infection because they have cramped living conditions, they've got shared laundries, hundreds of people using the same lifts, and that means these buildings have an explosive potential to spread COVID-19, and that's been the justification for the lockdown where they can have no visitors in and no residents going out. You're right, Tom. The speed at which these restrictions were implemented has caused some serious problems, especially with getting food, baby formula and medicines to the residents. So let's find out just how bad the situation has become and importantly, what needs to happen next, especially given that the whole of Melbourne has returned to these tighter restrictions. Yeah, along with many other people who were worried about the residents in the towers, our very own news producer Sally Spicer here at the briefing actually went down to one of the towers to help with supplies. This is the moment she arrived at the Australian Muslim Social Service Agency, which is just across the road from the North Melbourne Towers. It looks like a lot has already been donated, so I imagine there is quite a bit of work to do. So we'll see how we go. I've already seen two police buses which have been repurposed um, for the sake of uh, for the sake of testing masks everywhere five police cars six, seven, eight, nine god there are so many police around here that would have to be 40 at least hi, hi I just put my hand up when I was asked if I had a car so. deliver? yeah great All right, let's get packing. Okay. People are coming in constantly and dropping off food. Um, Someone just dropped off $330 worth of prepaid phone credit. Um, They've got plenty of people, but apparently um, don't have access to any of the buildings yet. Uh, They don't actually have permission to get in yet, so I'm not really sure what's happening. Police are escorting one man back in. Uh, he he looks he looks agitated. Um, police are quite full. Uh, they're not they're not touching him, but there are how many police are there? One, two, three, three police and media. Um, I grew up in this uh, community, uh, so I grew up in the Carlton Flats, but we're pretty connected. Every building we've got people. I mean, we have a better system than the HHS itself. Let us do it. People need essentials. People need nappies. People need, you know, medications. People need stuff that is actually, you know, crucial to their health. Let us take it in. That was Sally Spicer in front of the North Melbourne Tower. She joins us in the studio now. So we've all been watching this tower story unfold from a distance. What did you learn from actually being there this week? There was so much distress there was the first thing that really struck me. I went there two days after the hard lockdown And this community centre was 100 metres from the tower. It was less than a minute's walk. There were bags full of fresh food. There were cars full of fresh food. And two days after the lockdown, they still couldn't get food in. And it was just phenomenal seeing the barriers that these people were facing after that amount of time. It was really shocking. You just don't think it had happened here, as I said. Okay, thanks for that, Sal. Let's go to someone inside that very tower that Sal was helping give food to. Abdi Ish joins us now. Abdi, how are you doing? To be honest, when I've been looked after, 
no one's supplying any food with us and the food that people from charities and the community, other communities are bringing us, they're not, the, the offices downstairs, they're not letting nobody take anything upstairs. They're giving us their food, DHS provided, and that's expired. They're only giving us milk and uh, Woodbix, that's all. No one can eat that for the whole day, Woodbix. Oh my that's goodness. Not, nothing else. Abdi, what about people who need things on top of food? Are you getting good access to things like medicine, baby formula? Nothing, nothing. Baby formula, all of that, it's coming from the local mosque where we pray with everybody from around North Melbourne, other people brought stuff for us. So all those stuff from the other people that gave us a charity. The government's not providing nothing, no medicine, nothing. Wow. And there's so many people that got sick here, adults, and they called ambulance, and it took two hours for them to get just the ambulance people to pass the police. And once they arrived, they think, oh, if you live here, you have corona. What do they mean by that? So if you get an ambulance and for other emergency reasons, you have corona. So it's crazy what's going on. Abdi, can you paint us a picture of what it's like in there at the moment? Is everyone staying in their own apartments or is are you going out in the hallways? Is it oh, quiet? So, yeah, it's quiet. Legit, you won't hear nothing. Nobody can leave. There's cops going up and down the stairs. So there's nothing. You can't do nothing. You can't even wash your clothes. The laundries are not working. And Abdi, how do you feel now that the rest of the city's gone into lockdown Initially, you guys got very little notice that this was happening on on Saturday, and it was a tougher lockdown than anyone in the yeah. country had faced. Has that situation changed now that you found out the rest of the city's gone into lockdown? To be honest, it's not been helping us, and still people are mad at the Victorian Premier. He gave us notice to other people 24 hours. How come mm. he didn't do that for the people that live here? As now, people they're going to go shopping, they're going to get everything sorted. No one would have complained because they got time. And they know the limit to be home when by. The, what they did to us, and especially get police officers outside our building, for what reason? Why do we need 500 officers? Especially there's people coming from overseas that have corona, come to the hotels, and there's only two security guards they have. And we have 500 officers. It doesn't make sense. And this hard lockdown on, on your towers was supposed to end after five days once everyone's been tested. Have you and has everyone you know been tested yet? Most people I know have been tested. They said it might be up to 14 days. Like other people can still go shopping, obviously for reasons. They can leave their house, but here the cops will still be here. They even made tents here the way they can chill and relax and take breaks, the officers. So it looks like we'll be here for a while. And uh, everyone that lives in these buildings, we're not happy. The way they're treating us, they're not providing food, nothing. That was Abdi-ish inside the North Melbourne Tower. Konkara Panagiotidis runs an organisation called the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre and they're helping get food to the residents of these towers. Con, we were just speaking with Abdi who described an incredibly intense situation. How on earth are we going to solve this? Yeah, we're really troubled as well around the conditions in which people are living in there. What we're trying to do is make sure that people are getting culturally appropriate, healthy, nutritious food delivered to them. And by the end of today, we'll have done almost 3,000 meals in the last three days. So we're working with people like Trades Hall and other food charities. But honestly, there's a bigger issue here, which is the crisis facing people there didn't start a couple of days ago. It started years ago. And it'll be there after this pandemic, which is, why do we have people in insecure, overcrowded housing with poor infrastructure. And this is an issue the federal government, working with the state government, needs to address, which is the lack of investment in social housing, 
the lack of a safety net in terms of income. Because if people have a livable income on JobSeeker, that takes you out of poverty. Um, and if people have access to meaningful and dignified social housing, these towers don't exist in the first place. And that's the bigger story here. Why are people living in such conditions in one of the richest cities in the world and richest countries in the world? We have a social housing crisis, and this shows the income inequality and how this is also the racial inequality in this country of ours. And so this is what we need. Scott Morrison is our PM working with every level of government, tackling the root cause of this mess, because that's actually what's at the heart of it. Yeah, well, Con, tell us more about that. Why has that situation led to the outbreaks in these communities? You look at these high-rise towers, and all of them are overcrowded. So, for example, the residents have been talking about this. You've got two lifts for 180 towers. You've got nine families sharing one laundry on the floor. You've got up to four kids in one bedroom. You've got corridors that are no more than a metre wide. So suddenly when you have a pandemic like this, people can't safely socially distance. So the state government's actually in an impossible position, which is there are dozens and dozens of cases there and it could spread like wildfire. But what it also says is the housing people are kept in is so overcrowded and insecure, Mm. you actually can't safely contain it. Like, I'm just a couple of k's away and I'm in lockdown, but I'm going to be able to leave for work this morning because I've got space. That's what my privilege provides me with. So when you look at our Prime Minister at the moment, where he's got $270 billion to invest in missiles to displace people, why doesn't he have billions to house people with dignity and safety? Why isn't that part of the COVID-19 stimulus package? He's wasting money on homemaker schemes and all sorts of rubbish. And it's like, here's your chance. Do two things. Put billions into social housing. Keep job seeker at the rate that it is now. And don't return people to poverty. Because if you've got no way out, if you have no income security and no housing security, that's how you get those high rises. They shouldn't even be there anymore, should they? You're so right, Con. I think coronavirus in so many ways has exposed and also magnified a lot of the inequalities in our country. Can you tell us how difficult was it to get food into the estates in the first place? What we do is drop the food off and then there are other people that the state government has organised to take the food in. We understandably recognise there are health and safety protocols and they've got to minimise the risk of community transmission. So we're not allowed into the buildings to deliver the food directly to people because the government's trying to balance the need to give people food with the need to contain the outbreak. So our role is to get the food there and then um, there are others on the ground that are responsible um, to distribute it. Con, your point about looking at the long-term problem of not enough social housing and very cramped positions is a really good one and I think this has exposed the need to really deal with that. But what do you think needs to happen right now? How do we look after these people and stop the infection increasing? And how has the fact that the whole city around it has now gone into lockdown, changed that situation? Yeah, I I do worry now that all of Melbourne is in lockdown, I do worry about whether people are going to suddenly forget about the people in the towers. Because while we're hurting, I can still leave this morning and go and exercise, go to my supermarket and go to work. These people can't. And the most important thing, I think, are a couple of things. Just like what you've done with your show, amplify and center the voices of people in those public housing towers and hear them. And as a community, I've been encouraging people not to donate to our charity. We're happy to donate our labour and 
trade halls covering up food costs. I'm encouraging people to, to donate to the local organizations on the ground. People like the Flemington and Kinsley Community Legal Center, people like the AMSA Association. These are the organizations that have been working in those public housing estates for years and will be working there for years to come. And their details are up on our ACC Twitter and Facebook. That was Con Carapanagiotidis, the CEO of the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. The rest of Melbourne has, of course, moved back to stage three restrictions overnight. And as that happens, we need to remember that the experiences of a pandemic for someone with multiple comorbidities who lives in a public housing tower that isn't fit for purpose is very, very different to that of folks residing in the suburbs. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, TikTok. Is there anything to worry about? Should it be banned? We'll take a deep dive and brief you on the Chinese-owned social media app. Catch you then. A Podcast One production.